0: This episode of The Magic Markets podcast is proudly brought to you by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management. Established in 2004, Westbrook is a multi-asset, multi-strategy manager and advisor of alternative investment funds and co-investment platforms. Westbrook has a heritage as a shareholder and operator of assets and invests their own capital alongside investors in private debt, hybrid capital, real estate and private equity in South Africa, the UK and the USA. Westbrook provides investors with a unique gateway to private market alternative investment opportunities which are traditionally difficult to access. Investors benefit from the depth of experience and quality of investment teams who apply the Westbrook investment and risk philosophy and approach to everything they do. This, together with their highly aligned financial interests, their heritage as an owner and operator of assets, their multi-decade track record of performance and their focus on capital preservation, provides investors with a unique advantage. Invest with the Westbrook Advantage and visit westbrook.com to find out more. And of course, as much as we are proud to provide a platform to Westbrook to discuss what they do on Magic Markets, you must always do your own research and speak to your financial advisor about whether any of these products are suitable for your needs. Welcome to episode 162 of Magic Markets. We were just joking that we really have done a lot of these shows now, but we have a lot of fun, Mo, and we get to sometimes welcome some really interesting guests to the show. And we haven't done a guest show in a while, actually. We've been sort of running around doing these stock research shows where we each go off and we, you know, grab a stock and rent it back and talk about it. But today we're going to do something completely different, which I'm very excited about because we haven't spoken to Dino zucolo from Westbrook for a while. And that's because he's been very busy because 2023 was the year of all years for alternative assets. And it's going to be great to delve into why that is and what they've been up to. So Dino, welcome back to Magic
1: Markets. It's so nice to have you. Yeah. Hi, Ghost, Mo. It's been... We were just saying, I think a little over a year since we last chatted. I'm very, very excited to be back.
2: Yeah, indeed. You know, it's been it's been about a year, and I, I think it's an interesting time to kind of touch base with you as well because there've been so many moving parts. You know, obviously I look at this from a macro perspective, uh, and as Ghost indicated, you know, we had this. Bumper year for alternative assets, private credit, you know, all of, the, all of the verticals that Westbrook play in that we've unpacked in a lot of detail for our listeners previously. And again, if you're new, if you're just hearing about Westbrook, there's actually a treasure trove of Magic Markets podcasts with content from Westbrook. That's very educational. And it goes through all of the various verticals that Westbrook play in. And that ranges from private equity, as we indicated, you know, mezzanine debt. Uh, alternative assets in general. And I I mean, the reason I'm excited about this, Dino, is that, like I say, not only has it been a bumper year, not only has there been a lot of interest in this as an asset class, but also, you know, when I speak to the institutional asset management space up here in North America, there's a lot of interest around it. But then from the private client space, which is where, where Westbrook operates a lot, you know, there's maybe a little bit of nervousness. And so maybe we can address some of those concerns, what's come through in the market I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Let me not detract from that. Uh, You know, Dino, maybe just give us a quick recap in terms of what has 2023 really been like for Westbrook? Uh, What have been the most notable moving parts uh, for you as a team?
1: Yeah, look, so I I think first and foremost, alternatives have become more and more uh, popular with clients. But, but, I think what's what's very important about that is I always get scared when I hear people say things like bumper year and you know best year ever, and all of these kinds of things because it's it kind of almost speaks to to things being unsustainable. And I don't think we're there. I think where we are, and and there were so many conversations I had with different clients last year around it. That, you know, I know you guys come from a listed market background, but the reality of life is that over the last few decades, the size of the investment universe in the listed markets has reduced and reduced and reduced. And we've been in this world of people looking for alpha, which is, uh, you know, a, a uncorrelated return relative to the risk you take or a return higher than the level of risk you take. And it's becoming more and more difficult to extract alpha in the listed markets. So alternatives really, in simply put, are when you invest In in a direct asset, you make a direct loan instead of investing in a bond, you buy a property instead of a REIT stock. And in that context, it only makes sense that alternatives are growing. So we're not building something unsustainable. All we're doing is we're offering a South African client, what I call South African connected capital, access to private market investment opportunities, which are very, very difficult to access. And and we're growing a business out of it. We we manage twelve billion Rand under management. That is tiny in comparison to the multi-trillion dollar blackstones of the world, but we're doing it carefully in accordance with Westbrook's investment and risk philosophy and approach and within our chosen niches. Last year, Mo to answer your question, was a very interesting year. You know, we came off the back of a series of interest rate hikes in the UK and in any actually, I suppose, developed market. And what that had is it had material impacts on on the global financial ecosystem. Rising interest rates generally bad for equity valuations across the board, be it in property, businesses, et cetera. And with interest rates high, what we saw was a lot of investors looking for safe haven assets. And in our world, in alternatives, the safest place to invest is in private credit and our hybrid capital platforms. In that regard, we had a very, very successful year. So, I mean, just to put some stats to it, Last year, we raised about 4 billion Rand. We did about 52 deals as a business. And a large portion of that came in private debt and hybrid capital. 29 deals in private debt we did as a house last year, 19 in hybrid capital. And, and Westbrook as a business, just to give you some context, has now invested north of 7 billion Rand in 175 private debt transactions across the globe. So investors looking for Predictable, safe returns and private debt last year definitely the place that they that they found them.
2: And in fact, before we even move on from that, you know, I mean, I just want to, in terms of the split, you know, you mentioned the number of deals you've done, the, the capital you've deployed. I mean, I I think twelve billion. That's that's a business of some significant scale. But what does that mix look like? You know, how much of that went into private debt? How much of that was private equity? You know, what does the split look like? Where has the action been in this alternative space?
1: Yeah, I think so. So if you look at it this way, of the four billion rand that we raised last year, I would say that about three billion of it went into a combination of private debt and hybrid capital. Uh, For any investors or, or, or listeners on the show, westbrook's definition of private debt and hybrid capital are that private debt are funds that we offer of senior secured loans direct loans as opposed to listed loans and hybrid capital is a slightly riskier debt-led proposition so playing in the world of preferred equity mezzanine debt and the likes but there you can also potentially start to play and creep into the equity of businesses so i think what investors were looking for last year was was a, was a stable predictable safe haven return and And, even in equities, what we saw a lot of clients doing is, so private debt a lot of clients used as an alternative to uh, your traditional cash fixed income type products. But hybrid capital, interestingly, was used by a lot of clients to recycle out of equities and into hybrid capital on the basis that uh, to give you an idea, South African hybrid capital fund yields between sixteen and twenty percent in rands. in the UK we between thirteen and fifteen percent in sterling. That's kind of close to where long-term private equity returns have been in both markets, but with much less risk.
0: Yeah, no wonder you've been so busy for the past year and we couldn't get you on a podcast. Been a, there's been quite a lot going on, you know, and I think the next thing I want to ask is actually around just raising the capital. Is that all South African capital that is then flowing into all these various places or is it mostly South African or do you do much in the way of international raising? Because obviously I think that talks to where the South African investor mindset is right now. And sadly, I agree with you about public markets in South Africa. I mean, the JC seems to become a little bit more sad every week, really. I can see it in the amount of sends announcements that I'm reading every day to write ghost mail. I mean, that's why in Magic Markets we focus on global stuff is exactly this reason. So is that South African capital looking for global opportunities and, and maybe private opportunities in SA?
1: Yeah, so our investor base is predominantly what I'd call South African connected capital. So that, that South African might not reside in South Africa anymore, but they certainly are from here, made their money here, are well networked here. And and it's been very much the focus of our business in the over the 20-year track history that we now have as Westbrook is we, we're very focused on what we want to do, which is, you know, investing in places like the UK and the US, where our offshore offices are based, is a, is a scary thing for a South African. And the whole Westbrook proposition is that you get to do it under the umbrella of a house that is well known, that can be referenced, and whose money is invested alongside theirs. So, a lot of high net worth capital there. Probably a hundred wealth management businesses who also allocate capital into us. What was an interesting development, ghost from last year, was. The, the beginning of institutional flows into our business, which is relatively new in a Westbrook context, but was a very big positive for us. And I saw it personally as a big tick for Westbrook, you know, in terms of a big institutional houses, more than one, having done multi, multi-year due diligence processes on our businesses, not just on our businesses, but on the concept of investing in an alternative, which for them can be quite tricky because they're not priced daily, they're not liquid every day. But it was great to see some material flows from them. Just a point as well, Ghost, on your, on your kind of opening gambit to, to the question is that the series of delistings and the shrinkage of the public markets is not just a South African trend. I wish I had the stats in front of me, but there's, there's an incredible amount of data out of the developed markets as well where, where delistings have been a trend for a long time. And the public markets are getting smaller as a relative you know, size or proportion of the total global investment universe
0: yeah illiquidity in that long tail of stocks and then what happens is entrepreneurs who need to get exits for their business i mean i see it all the time in some of the other stuff i'm involved in the public markets just don't even come up anymore so you know i can't speak for overseas but south african entrepreneurs sitting on businesses worth a couple of hundred million absolutely none of them are sitting there going oh let me go and research the JSE listings requirements and go to markets and list and see if i can get an exit that way It's just, it's overs. That's just not happening. And it's because they can't exit. They can't then sell down their shares and actually get out of the stock. So, you know, you're not getting new assets coming through. Those entrepreneurs are exiting privately. And why not? They're getting the same offers in the private markets that they would probably be getting as a valuation multiple on the public market, but without any of the headaches and pain and public scrutiny and everything else that goes with it. So structurally... There is
1: more and more happening in the private space. I think that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Look, we're going to digress now, but I mean, I, I think back ten years when I when I worked in corporate finance, and you know, back then the, the the REIT stocks in South Africa were all the trend. You know, these these REITs, especially the inwardly listed REIT stocks, were all trading at massive multiples to NAV. You could list anything; your 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 market cap would trade at one and a half, two times NAV, and there was this massive uh, accretion that happened by way of bringing your stock to the public markets. That now, of course, has swung around the other way. And there's, there's probably a, an unlisted company premium in South Africa at the moment, and most REITs are trading at discounts to NAV. So I suppose you've got to look at long-term and medium-term cycles, but it is also a function of our interest rates and, and where we are in that cycle, I suppose, as well.
2: I think, I mean, those, those are some critical points, you know. I mean, the the key thing here, and what we've always said before, even on previous shows with you, is that, you know, the kind of I wouldn't call it the failure, but the the regression that you're seeing in listed in public markets is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the likes of Westbrook to go out there Go and find the deals. It's a failure on behalf of the established kind of financial intermediaries, being the banks, in terms of they're not they're not placing the money, they're not pro, they're not providing that conduit for capital. And so you're effectively on both sides of that value chain because you allow investors. I mean, those double digit returns that you'd indicated those are compelling, as you indicate, certainly in the context of you know listed returns that have not been as fantastic, depending on which jurisdiction you're operating in. So that's on the investor side. And then in terms of you placing the capital, that is has always been a very vital component of, you know, just the flow of capital through the financial system, and I guess is what stands behind the popularity of alternative assets, uh, things like private credit. Like I say, that's a, th- a trend that we've seen up here in North America. Uh, I want to touch on the point you'd raised around institutional investment, because, you know, that's a space that I also play in right now. And I mean, that's where we've seen a lot of emphasis, certainly up here in Canada, your big pension funds, lots of patient capital, they've been pursuing private credit quite voraciously. They've been pursuing, I mean, private equity has always been there, but that's been less popular more recently. And again, for the reasons you've indicated, you're getting less risk and probably a comparable return in in, in private debt. Uh, Where I want to go with this is that as you grow out that side of the business, and again, with the caveat that it's fairly new for, for the likes of Westbrook, does that not also give you a flywheel on your retail business? Because patient capital might come to you and say, hey, we need to deploy X billion. You know, they've got really truckloads of money sitting behind this thing. And if you have private investors looking for liquidity, does that not give you the opportunity to maybe align those two and provide a secondary market for people who are looking to exit in the private space and then, you know, kind of offlay that to your, your, your institutional investors? How do you view that kind of dynamic playing
1: out? Yeah, it's a good question. We've never looked before to creating secondary markets ourselves. And I think you've got to be very careful. So there are many advantages to alternatives. You get potentially higher returns, you get less volatility in those returns, more predictability, you can get clever from a structuring perspective and you can play in small niches of markets such that you can extract this alpha. But there's, there's some downsides. And the biggest downside is illiquidity. So you've got to understand if you're making a direct investment, you don't have a secondary market, which is the whole definition of a listed market. To, to promise liquidity to a client is all good and well when things are good, and then very bad when things are bad, because people all tend to move in the same direction. And we've seen it, even the Blackstones of the world, Mo, when things got tough, in COVID, et cetera, had to gate. Now, gate means you promise money back, and the answer from the manager is, sorry, you can't have it back. And and that's, I think, over the years, especially, I mean, we talk to hundreds of clients a month, and where especially the older asset managers and and wealth managers have gotten burnt, when you talk to them about private market assets, is, is in liquidity. And a lot of people get very nervous when it comes to that concept of gating, and I can't get my money out when I want it out. So, As a rule, so far, we have never purported to be able to give clients money back over timeframes, which we can't. We will never mismatch our assets. So if we write 24-month loans, our investors must be locked in for 24 months, as an example. Uh, Could we go there one day? Possibly, but I think we would do it in a very careful manner. Uh, You know, know, as an asset manager, Mo, you want to have a very nice mix. Institutions are not the panacea. Just because they bring big flows, I mean, that's very attractive, potentially, to an asset manager, but now you start to run big concentration risk in your business, and institutions move much more slowly than what a direct client can move, so... I'd say there's different products that we offer that are better suited to different types of clients. And it's in our own best interests to maintain a slightly wider base of those clients in order to ensure that we can operate nimbly and with speed across the capital stack.
0: Yeah, Dean, I think the point you made about the institutions earlier is is really the right one, which is it's such a feather in your cap, ticking the box, whatever you want to call it, because it's the old story. No one gets fired for hiring IBM, right? So for them to go to their investors and say, well, we invested in a basket of listed stocks and we're really sorry, but Sasol had a shocking year and this one's bankrupt and that one's not too bad. But, you know, everyone bought that and after all, it's Sasol. is kind of an easier pull to swallow for investors than, hey, we went and invested in this thing you might not be familiar with and it's kind of exotic and oh my goodness, it broke. You know, that is then a really difficult conversation. So for them to step outside of that comfort zone I think does say quite a lot for the due diligence process you've been through and what you've built. You know, that, that's a really big tick in the box. And I think where retail investors can, can view that is just, you know, a lot of that due diligence work has then happened for them. I don't think too many retail investors are going to go and put you through that kind of due diligence. And I'm, I'm sure if they tried to, you'd say you're too busy because that's a bit ridiculous for the amount of flows they would bring. But the instos have done the work now and i think that 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 says a lot about the westbrook business
1: look i think i think we'd be naive to think that it's just westbrook and our brand and our investing capability you know i think it speaks to two things you're right we we do have a very good track record and we've built the brand and the recognition is coming in the market i mean a, an interesting stat in the note that i put out to our clients at the end of last year is that our loss ratio since inception because remember our deals churn quite quickly so our aum is lower than the total number of deals that we've done as a business uh, is less than 0.5 percent of all the transaction flow that we've ever done as a business. So, part of it is our track record, but you know, it's very. There's an old saying: you can take the horse to the water, you can't make a drink. And I think part of the uptake is also just indicative of the fact that even the big institutions, who are notoriously slow to move, have begun to understand that if you want to offer a client. An appropriate investment portfolio for the day and age that we live in, you have to incorporate alternatives. You almost don't have a choice. Yeah, I, just, I want to jump in with, with two specific questions here. Again, just in the interest of time, you know, we uh, the one
2: is I know that Westbrook operated in the solar space down in South Africa. And I mean, that's been where there's been a lot of activity, but arguably, you know, certainly from what I've seen, there's been a little bit of a saturation that's come through, lots of competition, you know, perhaps IRRs have been compressed. So maybe a comment on, on solar specifically specifically in South Africa. And then the second one I'm going to throw in here, Ghost is going to to kind of shout at me because I'm throwing two in here. But the other one is globally, because I, I know you have a US office. I know that you've grown your team in the US as well, but in the US, real estate's been quite topical uh, and commercial real estate in particular, certainly over the course of the last couple of months has come to the forefront in terms of big concerns, big vacancy issues coming through in large urban metros. But maybe just a comment overall in terms of your exposures in the US. I know real estate was a component of the value proposition there. So
1: on solar in South Africa and on real estate in the US, maybe some quick views there, Dino. Yeah, sure. So in in South Africa, Maybe I should start it this way. We do two things as Westbrook. We do what I'd call traditional asset management style product. That's private debt, hybrid capital, real estate, and and private equity. But then we also have a business that we call tax-enhanced investing, specific to South Africa, focused on a client who's looking to get some kind of a tax angle. So previously, we were quite big in the Section 12J space. And more recently, we've moved into Section 12b. Uh, in the budget speech of 2023, the Minister of Finance announced Section 12bA of the Income Tax Act, which enhanced the deduction that was available to anyone who installed a rooftop photovoltaic solar, specifically for trade purposes. And this was something that we thought was quite interesting and had built a business around. So last year, we raised a very small, it's just south of 300 million Rand fund, for investments alongside best of breed partners in the solar space in South Africa. And our investment team have been extremely hard at work in investing that capital at the moment. Mo, you're not wrong. It's been challenging from an investment perspective, but, but not challenging because of a dearth of transaction flow. We actually going into the 2024, 2025 tax year have probably a billion Rand worth of equity as a pipeline lined up. It was more challenging because starting a new business takes time convincing EPCs who are, an EPC is a technical term for a turnkey solar provider, that they should deal with us, takes time and negotiating legals and so on and so forth. But what we found is that the big DFIs and the big offshore investors are looking to do mega projects. We're playing sort of at a smaller level, uh, you know, a shop right or a, a body corporate who's got solar and and, you know, renting that out to the tenants within the block. At that level, what we've seen in south africa is that because a lot of these epcs have grown so quickly they're able to get debt from the banks the banks want to lend but they've still got to put equity in you know and that even if you have to put you get a 60 ltv from the bank if you have to put 40 percent equity in and you're growing really really fast you as the as the owner of the business might not have enough money to keep footing that equity check and remember these projects are 15 20 year projects so they're long it's long equity investments that you need to make And that's been our kind of USP to to the borrower, or in this case, the partner. We've done pretty well. I think we're going to invest the, the lion's share of the amount of capital that we deployed. And that's really cool for our clients because for every rand they invest with us, they get two rand as a tax deduction on average by virtue of the gearing that we've incorporated in the project. So a really cool way of, number one, addressing the electricity crisis in South Africa. And, you know, there's a whole ESG angle to that. But number two, getting a tax break uh, in a country where I think some, some South Africans are frustrated around what they get for their tax money. So 12 will be a big focus for us this year. Hopefully a billion rand fund that we'll bring to market March, April. Moving offshore, so real estate has been certainly an area where we've had a lot of exposure and and we have a lot of skills as Westbrook. Um, We did quite a bit up until COVID, I suppose. Uh, And then as a consequence of the interest rate cycle, uh, which followed COVID, got quite nervous and haven't done much. Uh, In the UK, we've almost done nothing in real estate after we built up and sold a last mile logistics portfolio to, to Blackstone a couple of years ago. In the Real estate space in the USA, we've got residential. So we've got two types of residential real estate. We've got a fund that invests in multifamily. So South Africans think of SummerCon, think of Baldwin, except the units aren't sold and sectionalized and sold. There's one owner of the block and they're 100% rented out all year long. And then we also do manufactured housing, which is a much more niche asset class. That's not one that we're talking to the institutions about. But we haven't done new investments in both of those industries or asset classes. I think the last, the first time we did a deal in Multifam was in December last year It was the first deal we did in almost three years. We like residential real estate. We're very, you know, we're very cautious of, in an, in, in an increasing interest rate environment, you want to be involved in a real estate asset classes, at least where you've got short leases, because those leases reset to inflation quicker, right? So hotels actually, ironically, have been quite popular lately, student accommodation, multifamily housing because it's 6 to 12 month leases so so we like residential but also because of its defensiveness and that was why we picked it initially because during 2008 GFC uh, multifamily was one of the most defensive real estate asset classes in the United States so so the answer to your question mo is we experts in what we do we're not really investing in commercial real estate in the US but in real estate generally we're cautious I have seen the likes of Blackstone, if I recall, I think it was Blackstone, who who just bought. Was it? It was. It was a large Canadian-based uh, multifamily operator, if I recall correctly. Mo. Yeah that, that that sounds that sounds familiar. That was quite a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, which to me was interesting because it shows that perhaps they're starting to call the top of the interest rate cycle and think that it's an attractive entry point from a pricing perspective to begin to invest more now. So. You know, like a lot of real estate is about timing the cycle. The best way to invest in real estate is to not try and time the cycle and just to be a long-term holder of real estate. If that makes sense. And like ultimately over a long enough period of time, the, the cycles will become less relevant. But we're definitely looking to do more uh, now going forward uh, because the the interest rate cycle seems to be settling.
0: The deal you're thinking of is Blackstone taking Tricon Residential Private. See, I have my finger on the pulse alternative assets also i have google and those are the same thing really so i can check while you're talking dino and then actually give us the answer Uh, i think we probably have time for one more question and and the first thing i want to comment on actually just take you back to that loss ratio that you mentioned earlier that is really impressive if you just think about the credit loss ratio sitting in commercial banks and that is a that is a portfolio of like home loans all the way through to unsecured lending and their credit loss ratios are coming out higher than where you are sitting on this private debt product, which shows why the yields that are coming out of what you're doing are impressive to say the least. So that really is, that really is pretty good going. And I think that speaks to you guys doing what you understand and what you know and everything else. And I, what I want to then touch on is something new that you're doing, as I understand it is, is private equity in the UK market in particular. I think that you've done two businesses there to kind of kick things off. You've invested alongside other investment houses, which I think is fairly common in the private equity space. It's typically, you know, different funds will invest together in one opportunity. And I guess just to finish off the show, it's just nice for the listeners to understand, you know, why in the private equity space are those sort of transaction structures quite popular? We'll often see, you know, Westbrook investing alongside another important name in that space into the same transaction.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. Private equity was where we came from in, initially in, in the early 2000s. So, but, but private equity in South Africa, not private equity in the UK. So, it does represent us going a little bit back to our roots. We we do think we're pretty good owners of, of capital in the sense that we operate as ourselves. We've built out, for example, the the Tapestry Group, which we built out almost over 20 years, was, was a business where we didn't just own it, we we got fully stuck in. For the listeners, that's curry Craft, dial bed Biggie Best, Volpees, et cetera, which we sold to the Fashini Group a few years back. But it's a good example of of, of understanding how to build a business, and then being an investor in a business because if you have built a business yourself you look at an investment in another business in a slightly different way and it's definitely more attractive for our partners because they see us not only as just a passive investor that's going to give money and then only ever call when things are bad they see us as a partner for growth and someone that can assist them in in, in scaling things up the, the, the reason that we invest alongside partners in the UK, Ghost, is because we know we, we're very honest with ourselves and we know exactly what we are and what we aren't. We're very good allocators of capital. We do understand businesses, but we're not of the UK as, as a house to the same degree that we are of South Africa. So the value add that we can bring to businesses in the UK is, is centered around things like capital allocation, strategic direction, um, picking businesses in sectors that are interesting and all of the operational aspects that come with being in, involved with a house like ourselves. But we need that, that jockey, that person who can, you know, we can reference deeply, who we can trust from those references to say to us, I have been in this market for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. I deeply understand the nuances of the sector and I'm putting my money into a specific transaction because I think it's a great deal. And you know where we move into markets where we're we're not necessarily as experienced as we might be in South Africa, key to us is to backing great people and generally, actually in investing backing great people is probably close to rule number one. Rule number ones don't lose money, but it's close to rule number one and and so we 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 back partners in the u k for that reason, but we too ourselves have an on the ground team It's run by a guy Rob Grieve Rob Grieve was a partner at r m b Corvest in South Africa. We did two deals last year. We have already done one this year, and the reason we're doing them is because, albeit that the market has been tough over a long time, it does present opportunity. You know, never waste a good crisis is the saying. I don't think we're quite in crisis, but we've been in a prolonged, tough market for a while, Uh, and we see that there's opportunities in private equity, specifically from an entry point perspective around pricing. And we're looking to do that for some more of our sophisticated investor base going forward. Private equity is, of course, the opposite end of the spectrum to private debt. Much longer hold periods, much less liquid and riskier. It's interesting just to maybe as a closing thought from our side to talk about client behavior and psychology. You know, private equity is probably right for many fewer of our clients than what private debt is. But, But so many of our clients love private equity because they just... You know, like a business is so easy to understand. They manufacture this widget or whatever it might be, whereas a diversified senior secured loan portfolio just feels so esoteric that it's really hard to like get excited about. Where in my opinion, many of the clients, you know, should rather be excited about the private debt fund and less about the deal, but people love deals. And so the, the mission of Westbrook is to give clients what they want across a spectrum of transactions. Uh, and to allow them access to alternatives
0: i'll tell you a deal i loved before i let mo bring it home was that offload of tapestry i mean you probably won't say it publicly but i think you timed that perfectly that sale to the fashini group was uh was chef's kiss timing in the south african market so well done
2: yeah i mean just unfortunately we've kind of run out of time you know and this is exactly why we need to have you on the show a lot more often I, i feel like we've just kind of. Touched. It's just the tip of the iceberg. We've just kind of scratched the surface. And again, we're trying to catch up on a year plus worth of developments. But I think exciting times for the industry, exciting times for for Westbrook. Uh, You've certainly given us some very interesting perspectives on investor psychology, on just the dynamics in the various markets in South Africa, globally as well. Uh, But that's where we've got to leave it. Uh, We hope as our listeners, you've enjoyed this. Uh, Go and check out Westbrook. It's www.westbrook.com. You can go and find them there and reach out to the team, you know, ask them some questions. If we haven't addressed some of the burning questions in your mind, reach out to the team. They're very approachable. I'm sure they'll be more than willing to engage with you and give you more insight in terms of how this could possibly be a suitable Product set for your investment portfolio or not, Uh, they could also give you some interesting perspectives in terms of just where the industry is going, where the new opportunities are, and I think this is showcase for us, you know, just where you play in the value chain, some of the interesting opportunities. We've also managed to exit deals. I think that's important because that only comes with a long term track record that a team like Westbrook has. Uh, and again, for our listeners, go and find us on X. It's at Magic Markets Pod, one word, at Finance Ghost, and at Mohamed Nala, all on X. Or pop us a note on LinkedIn. Let us know what you thought of the show. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks. And, you know, thanks. We hope to have you back in the future as well. Cheers.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice.
1: Please speak to your personal financial advisor